Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Innovation Crush. Guess who it is? It's me, Chris Denson. Um, I am the new and previously reigning champion host of this show. Uh, that's right. Put your fist up. In case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things ideas, creativity, innovation, smart people doing smart things. Uh, today, I'm joined by a gentleman by the name of John Canning. Say hello, John Canning. Hello, John Canning. I knew you were going to do that. Um, for those that may not know you, why don't you give us a little bit of a 101 on who John Canning is? Well, I'd like to say, first off, that I was never invited to the competition for this show host. So, you know, I mean, I'm kind of like Kim Jong-un of hosting the show. Oh, OK. So I see how that goes. So you um, won the competition because you killed everybody else. Pretty much. OK, good. Just wanted to know that. Um, I'm the black Kim Jong-un, which is I'm little Kim Jong. OK, I, I think we should just stop. Yeah, no, it's, it's highly next, offensive. I'm going to get a lot we're of letters. Go into Dennis Rodman conversations. <laughs> um so other than the fact that I'm upset that I've never competed for the hosting of the show, uh, I'm John Canning. Uh, let's see. I am currently the executive producer of neither film nor television nor commercials over at Digital Domain, which means I do all the other cool things. Um, basically just taking visual effects and coolness and applying it to all these other screens. Um, but uh, I've kind of had one of those weird and sorted careers that when you look back to it, you can go, oh, that's a career. But when you're in the midst of it, you're like, where, where am <laughs> what I, am I doing? What am I doing? Um, I, I've done everything from develop set-top boxes and cable modems as an engineer uh, to interactive TV stuff for more years than I can count. One day, interactive TV will be here. One, one day. Um, it's been a brief part of my career traveling around the world, shooting documentaries in various parts of the world. Uh, you know, small teams, uh, doing photography for that kind of projects. Um, and just having a lot of fun, frankly, always being on that sort of weird edge of the next tech. I always usually tell people, don't do what I'm doing, do it after I've finished because then it will actually be a market. Um, so a lot of fun. I was thinking about that actually, um, the gift and the curse of being ahead of the curve. Right. Uh, and we, we've known each other for a while and it's just, I, I think we have similar experiences where it's like it's too much too soon, or there's, there's something where you're like, you're pioneering things. You may not necessarily get the reward or the, I don't know, like there yeah. walk, talk, talk to me a little bit about the disconnect between the things that you get to do and then the later on the market value and impact. Well, I love working. Uh, I've always loved working in the media and technology space and uh, just always been gravitated towards the new and the next. And, you know, I think over the years I've started to evolve and understanding while it may be next, it may take a while. Um, you know, I think there's been a and you can look at a lot of innovation around tech. I mean, VR was one of those perfect examples. Everybody rushed into there because they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, and I'm not arguing that, but it. You know, you could look at it and say, well, I'm jumping into it because I just really love cool, amazing tech and I want to work on it. But I think there were there were companies rushing into it thinking it was suddenly a market. And you're like, did you not look at? No. Uh, so I think that's been the, the slow evolution for me. Right. Is being able to not only jump into something early, but know where it is in its cycle. Uh, you know, I call it that tsunami rush of, of innovation where you have this. Oh, my God, it's amazing. 
everybody rushes in, it crashes to the shore, and then it recedes back. Mm. And then you get back to that steady state, right? Yeah. The, uh, um, you know, I say that uh, the joke that I always say is the good news that Facebook bought Oculus. And then the bad news is Facebook bought Oculus, right? Everybody went, oh, it must be a thing. Facebook put a lot of money into it. A lot it. of money. A lot of money, right? <laughs> How many production companies do you know suddenly overnight pivoted themselves to being oh. VR companies? That was I was guilty as charged. We, <laughs> I, I, I did a project around that time. I'm like, okay, here it is. Here it is. Um, but you know, there's a whole, you know, just because I want to make a piece of content in that doesn't mean I can distribute it, that people can watch it, that there's a marketplace for it. Um, but to me, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay in that cycle of building out something. I like being at that crazy edge. Um, but it it does put it in a different position. I, you know, I'll tell people like yeah, you can look at this and I'm doing it. Yeah. But if you expect it to be steady state, if you expect it to be a market, if you right. expect it to be, oh, I'm just going to do the next iteration of that may not be the time. But it's also, uh, you know, I think when you look at it from a corporate standpoint, because that's usually what happens is either like a bunch of VCs go in and fund the next VR. Was it uh, River was one of the companies that, uh, that kind of like, oh, here's a bunch of money. Go make some more. And that work out for them. Right. Ex exactly. And so and that's just one of hundreds, if not thousands of organizations that were formed and went away. Um, what data points are we not looking at when these things come up? You know, I think the data points that people don't look at is taking, I mean, I dare say, and you know, people could see me, yes, I've got white hair, so I guess that makes me old. Um, but it also gives historical perspective because sometimes people could rush into a space and they maybe they found it like it's never existed before. And it's like, well, it has. Why did it fail last time? Right. What were the barriers to entry? Um, and to look at some of the factors because look, things like VR and some of these other technologies now. They're amazing, but there's a lot to it. There isn't just a a new way of making content. There's a new way of potentially distributing that content and viewing that content and, uh, you know, the business models around it. And let's face it, the technology itself is, it's as a, a colleague of mine described it, it's a box on the face right now. It's neither comfortable yeah. uh, nor, you know, it's like hot, sweaty. Hygiene's a problem if you're doing it like hygiene. in some public environment. <laughs> yeah. But it's undeniable what you can do with it. But the factor of mass consumer adoption has those other factors to it. Yeah. Um, and you can look at other historical perspectives in technology and technology rollout. Um, you can look at what are the factors that led to that next thing. You know, an MP3 player. You know, there's a whole, you know, revolution <laughs> yeah. around that of, you know, people. Th there are certain people you can go to that didn't think that there were MP3 players before the iPod. Right. They have no concept. There's they no Microsoft Zune. Right. They just, you know, and, and then it's, you got to take it apart of why those other things didn't work. Why did suddenly the world think that was the first and oh my God, oh my God moment. Um, and, and those things I think help to look at that. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's okay to be involved in a really early development stage of things, but to know where you are in the life cycle of a product. Let's, let's stick with this microsoft zune example for a second <laughs> because you know eventually apple came along and the ipod worked right it was everything that all the other companies had tried to do and now it's really the only you know at the at whatever point of time we are in now it's the primary means of of uh consuming those mp3 files um what what happened 
at that? Like, what was the perfect storm of incidents that made the iPod work? Sure. And I, you know, this is, I'm going to throw some things out there and there's going to be, if your listeners, some of them are going to be like, oh, you oh, didn't know what he's talking about. I mean, I think there's a number of perspectives, but if you look at it, it was not necessarily about technology. It was about really good marketing. Um, I think Steve Jobs and company managed to convince people that it was cool to have this device. And I would run into people at that time, you know, I was doing sort of informal market surveys. You ask somebody, why do you have that device? And they're like, because they, that person has that device. My friend has this device. Mm. It became a, I saw somebody else have it. They have it. It has music that I want on it. There were other, you know, there were other music ecosystems. There was, you know, there were subscription. There was the Spotify, if you will, mm -hmm. out there already at where you were paying a monthly fee. But it was a weird period of time where people were suddenly convinced that paying 99 cents a song was better than a subscription. Right. Now, I would ask most of those people if they <laughs> want to go back and do this math. Right. Right. And it's how like voting for Trump. Just kidding. No, because if you go back and you like you voted now, right? You, you didn't want to do it the first time. You're questioning. Your now math. you did it. You're really questioning your math. Um, you're also asking yourself, you know, how how happy were you when you decided to get a different kind of device, or um, you you move machines, and how easy was it to take that music with you? Right. right. Um, but it was a ecosystem that was very easy. It was an ecosystem that was very insular to its ecosystem, right? Apple had built an ecosystem that if you were in that ecosystem, you were very happy. If you tried right. to go to the edge of that ecosystem or out of that ecosystem, you became very cranky and unhappy. I think I also touched on another point, too. It's, you know, who, if you look at Apple, and I think at the time, of course, like, people had a familiarity and a comfort with the product and they loved it like Apple as a company. And it's like, Oh, by the way, here's this new thing. Right. And, right. and they, they've repeatedly done that over the course of history. Um, where I think that you go, go back to your Facebook and Oculus example. It's like, obviously, I don't know if people love Facebook like they do an Apple device, right? No, like, but it, it's it, a convenience, it, but it's also, it's a big enough thing in their lives or a, a it's an institution institution, if you will, that said, oh, if they are getting into it, there must be something here. There's a reason. But that's that's industry yeah. versus consumer. Sure. And, yeah. did, and and I think, you know, that's why the industry moved in there. And I think to your Apple example, people are when they're comfortable and familiar and somebody gives them something new in that comfortable and familiar, it's much easier adoption. And, you know, they had developed this again. We're just going to make it easy for you. We're just going to make it easy to get the, you know, pay the 99 cents for a song. And and this device works better with that, that mm -hmm. device because they control the ecosystem, right? It was, you know, there wasn't third party hardware. There wasn't third party software. It was everything they did. And that made it very comfortable for people. And the, the marketing aspect was suddenly that sort of ubiquitous. They didn't necessarily have more different songs than everybody else. They just managed to convince you, we've got it. You want it and off to the races. And they, they, they quickly established that dominance in that yeah. market. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I think in the case of, I'm going to go back to VR for a quick second. And I, and I only use that just because I think it's, it stands for all the other technologies that we talk about, artificial intelligence, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I gave a talk in 
Austin, and it was not during South by Southwest. It was like off season in November, um, and uh, I was going to show an example of a VR project. There were probably fifteen hundred people in the audience, and I was like, "How many people here have done a VR experience?" Three people raised their hands, and this is like a pretty savvy group. But they had come from all over the country, right? Right? Had I done that in LA or New York or say, like, of course, ninety percent of those people may have raised their hand, right. but that was a great sample size or a, a different sample set to understand the true market that was in existence at the time. Yeah. And like, do we ask the right questions, you know, as we are developing things? I, I think that's exactly the right question. <laughs> yes, you do ask the right questions. You, you ask the right questions. <laughs> um, it is, what am I trying to do with this? And what are those barriers to entry? And I think it's undeniable the power of immersing somebody into an environment and what you can do with that. But the other factors can override that power. The sheer inertia of a marketplace. The what am I going to use this for? Um, what do I get on it? Mm -hmm. um, oh, you know, for a while, and now we see, you know, wireless, you know, more powerful headsets. But it was like, well, if I want to truly want an amazing experience, I've got to hook it up to a very expensive Windows PC that, you know, some geek is going to have to set up for me because it's a Windows PC. Right. Um, what I think is interesting is you step back and say, well, it's a tool. And what is this tool really good for? And what is it good for right now? Or what is it going to be for? And I look at, at VR in this case and I say, the purpose-driven needs for VR start really making a difference. If I can use this to train somebody, if I can use this to make somebody do their job better, if yeah. I can help a doctor visualize something, suddenly the barriers of ergonomics or accessibility start going away, right? If I'm, if I'm producing this and I don't need 10 million people to buy it, I need 500 people to buy it because I've crafted this system. Right. That changes it because it, but then it, it does, it takes it out of the, Oh, this is just a shiny object and it becomes the next tool. I mean, I, I love these technologies, but I'm the first person to say, is it helping me do what I need to do? Yeah. I say to people like, you know, you'll get people pitching you things and say, I want to do a, an AR thing or, you know, early when I was, when I was working for M NBC television, I'd have people go and we, we'd like to use the Twitter. <laughs> right. And you're like, you're like, it's down the hall and to the left. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't use the first one and use the second one. Um, uh, they're now androgynous. You can use anyone. Um, <laughs> But it was more that they were creatives trying to, well, I've heard about this thing. We must use it because it sounds cool versus I have a creative problem. Help me solve it yeah. and apply the right tools for a job. Now, it could be that it, Twitter in that case or whatever, but there's too often you see people latching onto the next new thing as we need to use this versus the what do, what is the best way to serve what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Not bad for a kid who grew up near coal mines. It's true. Um, tell me a little bit about the, your your formative years, because based on what I know of your child, this, this doesn't equate. It does. It doesn't compute. Um. All right. So my formative years, it's it's true. Uh, middle of nowhere, Colorado, um, in the mountains. Uh, my father operated a small underground coal mine. Now, my the thing about my father is he's a mining engineer, and he is one of those interesting sort of renaissance people of doesn't make sense, you know, loves to 
dig holes in the ground, but had the quadraphonic reel-to-reel stereo system, you know, listening to Mita late at night. Um, yeah, that was my father. So it was an, an interesting dichotomy living yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. But frankly, I think gave me a wonderful grounding um, and an appreciation for things that are beyond just the high-tech craziness. Um, and I find that contrast always wonderful, uh, and find it that I want to permeate that through my life. And I, I find myself now that sort of mix of opposites and, and I find what I bring, I can bring in, in different situations. I enjoy that. It's not just one perspective because as we were talking, these problems don't always have just one perspective. You've got to look at it as a whole and, um, I think that's kind of fun. I mean, but it's, it's, you know, it makes me appreciate tra- traipsing around the world, lugging a camera and telling stories just as as much as putting on the next crazy tech yeah. and, you know, playing in this esoteric, uh, technology phase. Um, so it, it's a fun aspect of that, but I think it's, it's permanently left me thinking about always coming back to how do I apply this? How do I apply this in the world? Um, you know, how do I help people? You've speaking on that filmmaking piece. You've been to what sixty plus different countries, eight continents. Wait a minute. I mean, not eight continents. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) wait a minute. Is this a trick question? No, it's a different planet. It's a different solar system. Oh, parallel universe. You know. Yeah, we don't like to. We all. This is. uh, I told you. So um, no, but you've like you've done a lot of documentary, humanitarian sort of filmmaking and storytelling. a, how did that find you? Because, uh, again, the Colorado coal mining electrical engineer, John Canning. Then there's like the traipsing around Africa with, with the World Wildlife Foundation. I, it, OK, so the, the honest truth is uh, I started working at Microsoft uh, in the 90s. The reason I wound up at Microsoft is I was at a company called Scientific Atlanta, which no longer lives. Rest in peace. They They were bought by Cisco, kind of absorbed some point literally making cable modems. I found myself a sort of that weird moment where mm. uh, I was in grad school and um, we were working on macromedia director one semester making multimedia. We we're making, you know, all those kind of like, you know, interesting hypercard things. Yeah. And then the World Wide web literally happened, right? NCSA launches the first browser of that sort of next generation I was in, you know, grad school, so I was mixing it up with the guys that were doing the original DNS servers, and suddenly I'm I'm working on the World Wide Web. It, it, what the hell is this? Um, that took me from building communications media infrastructure to saying, what can I do with this? Um, I became fascinated with video games. Trust me, this is all going somewhere. I believe uh, you. Uh, I became. I hope it's going somewhere. Uh, did you see? No. <laughs> how long, we, how long is this interview? Um, <laughs> Uh, I became fascinated with the the vi- world of video games and what went into that and decided I loved this mixture of graphics and storytelling and was curious about it and wound up at Microsoft doing cable stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but also starting to dabble into the interactive space. Um, I, so here's how I got in, really involved in this craziness. I'm sitting in a meeting that I had been called to to discuss with the actor Patrick Stewart um, and a bunch of other Microsofties. He had brought an idea to Microsoft that he was trying to get off the ground. And it was this exploration idea story that he wanted to develop and he was looking for technology companies. So we all 
had an amazing conversation with Patrick Stewart. How can you not have an amazing story? Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. I mean, it's just, although I did feel like the whole time I just wanted, you know, he's kind of just wanted to have him go, say it, say it, say it, say it. Say it. <laughs> right. And sure enough, halfway through the conference call, he said, let's just make it so. Yeah. Yeah, that signature Did line. he do it on purpose, though? Or was it, like, know, organic? I didn't really care. It, it, flowed <laughs> it, it flowed naturally in the sentence. All right, so it, it wasn't obvious either it, way. It wasn't, it wasn't. He didn't use it out of context. Let's put it that way. So um, not only did he use my favorite line from him, but I wind up meeting some other Microsofties, and one of them uh, went on to help found Expedia and, and things like that. But it involved early days of Microsoft. Microsoft at one point said, we're going to do these amazing travel stories on the web. And this is back when your video was a size of a postage stamp. And he created something called Mungo Park. It's my friend, Richard Banks. And it was, they literally sent crews around the world telling these stories and transmitting it back and then squeezing it through dial-up. It was just like, ahead, again, ahead of its time. Pied Piper, Pied Piper back then. Exactly. Um, so they had done these stories. I met this guy. He says, hey, we're going to go climb Mount Adams here in Washington. You want to go with us next weekend? So I find myself with a bunch of people doing a mountain climb. And then shortly after that, I was like, hey, um, group of us, I'm putting a trip together to Machu Picchu. Want to go? I'm like, who says no to these things, right? right. So I'm I'm there. I'm doing the trek, you know, through the sun gate into, you know, to Machu Picchu. And I'm like, how do I do more of this? And he's like, well, what do you do? It's like, I could take photographs. He goes, great. How about the next trip? You'd be a photographer on it. So I'm moonlighting while I'm at Microsoft, technical evangelist for Microsoft for interactive TV media stuff. Right. And occasionally I'm traipsing around the world doing stories for MSNBC or, or Slate magazine. Um, yeah, I went to Papua New Guinea and was you know doing a story from Papua New Guinea for two weeks. Yeah. Um, and I got the bug. I got the bug to travel around the world and, and uh, to tell stories. And sure enough, some point, my colleague Richard came down to Yahoo, uh, 2005, called and said, let's put the band together. So we came down and literally did 2005. We did a travel blog that wow. was, you know, it was basically adventure with a purpose, uh, you know, traveling eight different places in the world where we were shooting and telling these stories about things that were important and mattered. And we were pushing media up from the field and the editor back at Yahoo was putting it into a five day story arc. Um, and I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is the first time in my life when I've come back from something or, you know, how often have you come back from a trade show and go, wow, what you did changed my life. <laughs> Not very I, often. I would have, I came back after a Rwanda project and somebody, it, it was already the five day arc had been up and people had read it and, you know, and it came back and they were like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like, you know, and, and you just had people asking you questions about yeah. what you did and that was your day job. Right. Like, and they were like, I felt like I was the extension of an audience that couldn't be there, couldn't ask those questions, but we were really trying to bring them to the field with us and, and give them a voice and, and help them understand what was going on in Thailand or Israel or Rwanda or any of these other places we went. So I got the bug. So you, I mean, you pretty much uh, in, in a way pioneered what the internet is best at. Right. Like discovering other stories from around the world and those experiences and how can I help or participate or observe and tell somebody else. I've, I've, I've been lucky and fortunate enough to been involved since the inception of these kind of things yeah. as a way to give people a voice and a way to 
to discover. I mean, that's the that's again, I'd look for me, like that's the nexus of what the World Wide Web is for, right? It's in yes, there's commerce and all the other, and there's porn. Which I personally really, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but there's, but no, but there's just all these sorts of different things of, that we discover about one another. There's also a downside to it, right? Obviously, as we, as we've seen, it, it's a it's a but, window into the world that is neither controllable nor restrained in both bad and good ways. Yeah. And you know, I I constantly look for the interactivity. I mean, I, I worked in broadcast television, and I, I look at a lot of ways that people treat this medium, and they treat it as a broadcast medium. Right. And I'm like, there's so much more. There's so much more that can be done. There, the conversation that can happen, true conversation, not just a, a comment at the bottom of something, but a an ability to be somewhere and say, "Come join me." Yeah. And. You know, we, we, we played with that experiment and, you know, obviously time zones are restrictive and things like that, but we literally started by, we, the guy was writing, Richard would write and he'd ask the audience questions in his dispatches and, you know, people could write in and ask us, we'd be like somewhere in the middle of nowhere reading this or our editor would send us an email and say, Hey, somebody asked this question. Can you, so the next day we could potentially go out and change the discourse interview somebody else, go back and ask somebody a question. Mm -hmm. Um, and to me, that's just very powerful. That agency of being able to be the tip of, of, of a spear to people, um, and be able to express things in more than one way. I think, you know, this notion of multimedia or all the different aspects you can apply to it. It's, it's, there's not just one way to tell a story, right? Did you ever think there would, there would be a Jake Paul or thousands of, these types of individual storytellers that some of them, I won't say all of it, don't contribute in the, like in, in a way that adds value. Uh, and I'm not digging on anybody in particular. I just use that as, but you know, this, except you name somebody, so. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of, but that's okay. Um, yes. I mean, uh, you know, it's democratization of the ability to tell has always been there as we've advanced the ability to proliferate words, right? You know, the fact that the printing press democratized that or created the ability to spread words, whether those words were right, true, or just, it, the, the press didn't care. The printing press, that physical device didn't care. The, the medium isn't necessarily discerning in the message. Um, and, you know, it's powerful, powerful information gets out there. You know, what's fascinating now is, is that the speed of light, um, we are able to move information around the world so that things happen, people know about it, and that's powerful. Um, and, you know, for me, it was just powerful to be able to share stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I did, I did this, what you and I are doing, um, uh, traipsing, again, moonlighting for, um, uh, it was Expedia Radio, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just happened to be doing a couple of different travels. And my friend Richard said, "Hey, well, if you want, we got Expedia Radio, and you can do some radio, you know, some, you know, broadcasts, if you will." But to, so I literally was doing radio interviews, and I went to Russia to visit my dad, and he, you know, I'm running around Moscow with a a DAT recorder and a and a camera, and I'm interviewing people in Moscow. I did it. I did a bazillion podcasts from uh, the World Cup in Berlin, and like. What was that? 2006. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, just doing stories from the edge for Yahoo podcasts, right? Yeah. Just 
what I love is this conversation where you can you can go talk to somebody. My whole my whole shtick in Berlin was that Yahoo had wanted, the team wanted me there when I was moonlighting, uh, not moonlighting. I was working at, at Yahoo doing this adventure travel series, and they were like, "Hey, can you swing by Berlin?" Literally, I was in Bosnia, I was in Macedonia, and then Bosnia, and they were like, "In between, can you swing by Berlin and do the podcasting?" Sure. <laughs> Yeah. And then I was like, what do you guys want me to do? And they were like, well, just do a bunch of podcasts. I'm like, what do you want? And they were like, I don't know, just, just talk to people. So, so literally, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And, I, and so I said, you know what? Here's my shtick. I'm an American. I don't understand this thing you Europeans call football. Can you explain it to me? So I would just listen. I would go through the crowd. I had a camera and a dat recorder. I just go through the crowd and and met up with a bunch of different folks. And, and I just listened for anybody that could speak English, right? I just hear English because God knows my foreign languages aren't that good. Um, and I hear something, I go up to him, I go, okay, I, I'm, I'm working with Yahoo um, and people know the brand. And I'd say, you know what? I really don't understand this thing you guys call football and we're Americans. Could you explain it to us? Mm -hmm. Some of the most fun, amazing stories would come out of that right because they were like oh okay and here we go i mean I, I, there was this whole group of scotsmen wearing nothing but kilts and a smile and they were half lit and i go up to them <laughs> and they're like oh and they they bust into song they go you know it's just that's um, that's awesome like was, that that's a good show today uh, um uh speaking of which I, un, unintended segue um Fast forward to now being a digital domain, and I'm, I just I, I kind of wrote down this idea of exploring possibility, right? And you started off just kind of like physiologically and literally exploring, um, and then exploring. Physiologically? The, yeah, exploring? like your body was in a place. You were moving through Oh, God, I, I didn't know if you meant here today. Nope, was, you've been was... very still. I think you're bored. Um, no, kidding. So then there's um, <laughs> the the... Your, the time you've spent a digital domain building a pretty pretty much a new practice at the company um and for those that don't know if you've seen thanos or benjamin button or tupac or uh any uh, i don't know hundreds of other things you guys you're welcome <laughs> you, exactly um but then they're at the cutting edge already then here you come to some like all right let's take another couple of steps further tell, tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day -day entails thus far i get up I eat. No, I think you probably want me to go to the business part. Um, uh, so what did you have for breakfast today? Um, I actually had orange juice, um, cause I was running a little fast. So I probably didn't have a really good breakfast. I mm. apologize. Yeah. That's okay. Um, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, so the day to day at digital domain, I mean, look, the company's over 25 years old, uh, it started, you know, with the Titanic and just hasn't stopped. And over the years has really developed, I have determined two major ways I could describe them. building amazing characters and blowing things up um, just from a visual effects standpoint, just amazing visual effects, a you know, masters in their craft of, of bringing digital elements to the point you don't know it's digital. You just, it's a part of the story. And there'd be, you know, period of time of transformers or beauty and the beast or, you know, Thanos and the Avengers. And really, I like to say that the culmination of some of that art is creating Thanos, which is really Josh Brolin acting and being able to enable Josh Brolin to act in a way that you see him coming through that character. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the height of a craft of being able to almost basically enable an actor to act again and say, no, to no, just act. And we'll bring that 
subtlety to the, the screen. Um, they've been doing that film, television. Um, they had an immersive team that was doing live 360 podcasts. Um, but really what I see my job and my team is doing is we're taking the visual effects expertise and applying it everywhere else. So it's, it's saying whether it's an AR, VR, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's the visual effects expertise. It's the VFX for any screen. Right. Um, it's that craft and storytelling and visual fidelity that we can bring to a story. Um, and then combining that with a delivery method. So that's been the fun part of it. And it, you know, new media and experiential, what the heck is that? Well, frankly, it's, it's whatever is that we need this amazing visualization. Right. And it could be, I, I literally had somebody that wants to do projection mapping on, you know, water sheets. They need the visual to project onto that. Um, you know, how do those pieces come together? Um, so that to me, you know, and I look across again, AR, VR, just continuum in the opacity, but it's a, mm -hmm. how do I see the world? Well, then what do I apply to that world? And yeah. that's where we come in. So it's, it's been fun exploring that aspect of it. Um, and, and just seeing the diversity of the kind of conversations and, and projects that can come across. Do you have an example like of, of a favorite or I guess a, a flagship project that you've been able to, to do since you've been there? Sure. Um, there's been a couple of, of, you know, everything from, uh, the team was doing, uh, three simple 360 videos that, uh, discovery put out, uh, in conjunction with the Google team, very simple, but there were three wildlife videos. One of which is you're standing in the woods. You have a POV of standing in the woods and a grizzly bear just comes lumbering out of the woods and comes up to you, stands up on its hind legs, roars and walks past. That's it. The other <laughs> one was you're, you know, different scene. You find yourself, you hear the rustling in the bushes, you hear a howl of a wolves and then a pack of wolves comes and surrounds you and moves on. Very simple. Right. And it was just fun because it was simple. Mm. It's just elegant. It was sort of what 360 can really just be that moment of, holy shit, I feel like this is happening. Right. You know, to uh, recently did a just a fun AR visualization project, um, uh, you know, for an, an event where we're just visualizing data at Wrigley Field. Right. And, and it was small. It was quickly executed, fun. But it was to me, it was the right complement to the project. Right. Um, you know, we did, we did some AR characters for pixel three launch with Marvel characters. And that really stuck out to me because I started looking at it saying, well, we did the big Marvel character. We did this Marvel character and it's just a difference in fidelity and screen, right? The one that was AR and one's a big screen using the visual fidelity and the driving it for a different purpose. Yeah. Um, and we got some, some really interesting projects on the horizon, um, time announced that we were in, in working with them on a project called, uh, the March, um, that I'm looking forward to, um, that is, uh, is taking and, and helping bring some historic events to life. Um, but again, that's that whole point of applying your craft to help telling a story. Yeah. And the March being, is it what's, what was, it's, uh, the, yeah. it's the, the March on Washington in, in 1963. Got it. Yep. All right. So going back in time through the future. Uh, exactly. Uh, so one thing I liked about digital domain, uh, just something very simple, actually, as I was clicking around on the site, um, one of the things was just sort of the nomenclature, right? Um, virtual humans. No one said hologram. You didn't say like, it's almost like it's its own vocabulary. Spatial awareness was another, or situational awareness. Um, and I think 
is there a science to the verbiage, right? Because because I, I think people dumb down when they say like for me I go Tupac hologram. You tell me a virtual human. I'm like, what's that? You yeah, know? no, no. It, it well, and I I dare say I get pedantic. Shocking, oh, I know more verbiage. But, uh, but it it's important because a hologram, and sadly in this case is it's really a Pepper's Ghost effect because a true hologram is a different set of technologies. But it's uh, look. I'll, I'll take a step back. It used to be that television was defined by three things. The distribution method, the way you watched it, the screen, and the content. And now all three of those things have been pulled apart. So how do you define television? You really get down to saying it's an episodic form of content, right? Because the distribution and the screens have all changed to mixed to matched. So when I when you look at the craft and, and when you think about it is I look at creating characters and high visual fidelity. Then I think of where does it go? And how is it display? And how does it, you know, and how does it, how do I distribute it? And all of those things need, are, are crafted together because Tupac was an example of taking and creating a digital character, which actually a, I hate to say this, head replacement, right? Just sounds weird, freaky. Ah, they took his head off. No, it was creating a digital representation that was actually a live body mm-hmm. with a head on there. It was like very similar to the craft of doing Benjamin Button that then was displayed using this projectors and a screen effect, right? That digital character could have been in VR or can be somewhere else, right? So it's the the crafting of these things and then where you display them now, you know, matter, right? And yeah. that's where we talk into multi-use of IP and, and all those things is because, and this is what's fascinating to me as we move into leveraging game engines is we can talk to somebody about world building. You can come to me and you can say, you know what? I want to, I want to create a virtual Chris and that you may be in a linear narrative, but then you may turn around and be in a video game. Mm -hmm. And if we create you craft, you right and have the ability, we can use you in those different circumstances. So, and the reality is you can use you, you can stipulate that I want to do more than just one thing. Um, as opposed to if you come in and we just shoot video and we create a linear narrative, I can't put that in a video game necessarily. Yeah. Right. So the, the virtual human or a digital human, virtual human being potentially someone that doesn't exist and is created out of the ether versus your digital, I can create a digital double of you, a digital human. So words matter. And I think that's been, look, I mean, I always get on my high, high little hobby horse is words matter. Absolutely. The descriptions matter. Right. And uh, it matters as you dig into what are the what are the things that you're trying to achieve. Well, that kind of reminds me of uh, so you and I recently reconnected because of the interactive Emmys, and I want to talk to you a little bit about your like role in you know the Producers Guild and the Television Academy and all, all those things. But someone in the room said, "I'm trying not to give away what the project was," but he mentioned like, "Finally, these individuals gave me the vo- vocabulary that I've been looking for, right to to be able to better do my job at his home base." He had heard a pitch, and then he goes like, "Ah, that's the way it should be spoken about," and almost like lit up at that point in time because when you're create when you're at the cutting edge where you've been, you know, or where you remain. 
it's you don't always have the the communication tools because you're like oh it's this thing and it does this and it, we use a game engine and you're like well yeah but what is it again yeah so um I, I agree with you that the words matter because also you have to be a, you have to be a translator between the traditional producers writers mark brands all those folks and also the folks that are on the cutting edge of whatever is possible right i look i mean i think I've also been involved in things that suddenly somebody gave a name to, right? And, and you know, there was, there's, or they changed the name, right? You're right. working on something and suddenly it's like, it's called this. And you're like, uh, really? Right. I, I guess that's well, what that, Like the new media versus interactive media, right? The the, yeah. the peer group just changed at the Emmys and you're that's like, right. uh, okay. Like, <laughs> it's still the same. We're making the same things. It, it's, look, I, you know, been in, involved in those namings and, and part of the reason of changing the interactive is there were things that were showing up that weren't necessarily fully interactive, but were of this not a linear narrative short form or long form right. on a big screen. And so we just went through this at the producers guild as we define um, what it is you've got. The producers guild has several different aspects of it. You can join doing new media and what does that encompass? And if you went up to the membership today and tried to join and you'd be reading these things and you're like, Oh, that doesn't make any sense. Or that's outdated. It's like, how do you describe this? How does it encompass the things that are done? Um, it's the subtle nuances between what's a game and not a game. Um, is it interactive? Is it immersive? And those are two different things. I can put you in an environment that's completely immersive, but not interactive. The bear. The bear. And on that note, I'm just kidding. So (laughs) (laughs) the bear. Uh, so this is a little touching, I guess, uh, because I was, I was pontificating on this. Um, a few years ago, Digital Domain was in some financial trouble, very publicly, you know, speak on as freely as you can. Um, and then there, and a great, a great part of it was almost like an underappreciation of the value of what they contribute to film, right? And television or whatever, you know, um, I, I forget which movie at the time was the big argument. Benjamin Button might've been it or the Hulk or something like that, um, and for some reason, they weren't getting the accolades or they weren't able to have like the proper credits, you know, on top of the project. And I was thinking about that almost in parallel with your career thus far. It's just like you're you're so far ahead that nobody really knows how to treat it just yet. Um, and I don't know if you even have a question there, but just that parallelism of like, how do you survive the downside of, you know, your awesomeness? <laughs> Wow, downside of my awesomeness. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to revel in that for a minute. No, um, yeah, I think. Look, all companies go through the growth stages of their industries, right? I mean, if you look at the evolution of the movie business and companies in the movie business, you know, companies like Digital Domain to still be here after 26 years and not have interesting things happen to them along True. the way, and you know, executives that make decisions that maybe didn't pan out or. Um, you know, I think that is the, it's the, how well you do you as an organization and then as an individual, frankly, react. I mean, I've only been at DD since, you know, probably a year, year and change at the point, right? Like what happened before that's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm there now. And it's, it's almost like I look at it and say, you learn from the past, but you got to move forward. Right. And the industry evolves, right? I think again, you're looking at it that at one point, just being able to do amazing visual effects in films was the thing that industry, our industries have 
overlapped, exploded. Sure. Uh, there's new companies in it. You know, would you have said 10 years ago that, you know, here, you know, Netflix would be a powerhouse of making content? Well, you know, some people may have said yes. Um, but the reality is, is just who's making content and what they're trying to achieve, um, the tools to make it. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you look at what we're doing with digital humans and being able to, some of that is the process of making it easier to capture that likeness, to translate that likeness. Um, the demand for making content just explodes. There is more content being made in varieties today than ever before. So the tools and techniques have to get easier, better. Um, the companies like a, a digital domain, you have to, you have to respond to the, the, yeah. as the world changes and shifts and how, and you find your place in it, right? We can, we can go through and we won't name names, but we can think about the companies that rose up into virtual reality heyday and now may they rest in peace, right? Um, some of them were traditional companies that pivoted. Some of them were just started up and have flamed out, um, you know, the question is, is can they accurately go through that period of time? Can they respond when they went, oop, that was a mistake. Let's go, let's, let's shift and come on, let's pivot. And I found for me, I, I, I once said to somebody, I think, I, I don't, not sure I do anything different. I think I just do it for different people. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, look, I, but I, you know, it's like yeah. that evolution that I've, I've, I, I'm still, working with some of the same tenants that I worked with, I'm just working with different tools. Right. I'm, I'm still trying to tell stories. I'm still trying to tell stories from the edge, but now I have more tools. I mean, I did a, a, a documentary with, uh, I was in doing an independent documentary with some colleagues of mine um, and Gabriella and Jen, and they wanted to do a story about a small Jewish community in Ghana. And I was like, why not? I love Ghana shot there before. Let's go do it. And we wound up doing a linear narrative documentary a TV show and a full fledged website that had 360 video and panoramas. And, you know, it, it had all of this because it, why? Because it was more effective to tell you about the story of these people in this community. Sure. And it wasn't just one way. And did we just layer in other things? Yeah. Cause it made sense to do it. And that's what I find fun. It's like, it's like what new tool in my tool bag do I get to do to do this thing? That's fun. Uh, as we wind down, the show is called Innovation Crush. Uh, I think you knew that. Yeah. I've heard that. Cool. Um, I'm curious as to what is your current innovation crush? It might be something in your day to day craft. It might be something you saw on a road trip somewhere. It could be a number of different things. But uh, what do you currently have an innovation crush on? I have a crush in, on combining both the visual technologies and the power of computation and what i mean by that is this intersection between the visual and the ability to drive that visual you know if i think video games i think it's always been like you can create amazing videos but i can't manipulate them then i could create amazing interactive environments but they don't look real mm. and now we're getting to that point where the 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 combination of what i can capture in video and what I can do interactive is coming together and then layering in this uh, ability, you know, it's like, I think of non-player characters in a game, right? You always had those stupid non-player characters in a game that you're like, Oh, now, <laughs> now AI is starting to bring an interesting realism to them. 
I think it's a fascinating time to be able to tell stories because you're no longer, you can bring game engines into that. You're no longer one decision or another. You're starting in this mushy middle ground of, well, we could do this a number of different ways. What is the best way that world building, that right. creating characters, doing different things with that characters. Can I tell linear narrative one day and a game the other next day? Well, yeah, you can. That's to me. It's just. Yeah, it's, it's almost like no wrong answer, right? Like as long as you do a good job at that direction you chose, like you. you I will you always come back to you. You still got to tell great stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is. Having fun. I agree. I agree. Are you always this jovial? I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty yeah. bubbly guy. Yeah, yeah. You're like a yeah. little. I'm, I'm, I would say I tend start to start calling be... you champagne poppy. No, no. no. I, no. I, I, I was going to say I'm generally optimistic, except about that name. Drake has it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. This is, oh, wait, where can, where can people find you? Where do you want people to go to your uh, media Sherpa? You know that, yeah, uh, my media Sherpa-ness is, uh, that's, that's been me for years and years. I like to say it's schlepping media around the world. Um, but I am best found on LinkedIn. Honestly, that's, that's the, I find that's the best way for people to stay in touch and stay connected. I'm also at media Sherpa on Twitter. All right. Thank you, uh, for joining us. Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.